The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is a program that focuses on the arts community from Stockton to Merced and Foothill to Foothill. We talk with local authors, poets, playwrights, fine artists, actors, directors, filmmakers, dancers, musicians, crafters, and makers to learn more about their art and the art-related events here in our part of the valley. We're your hosts, Linda Scheller, and I'm Laura Stokes. If you're involved in the greater arts community of our area and would like to be featured, we will share our contact information at the end of the show. Welcome to Arts of the San Joaquin Valley. Our guest today is Ryan Foy, the Gallo Center for the Arts Director of Produced Theater and Special Programming, a newly created role that is part of the Gallo Center's senior leadership team. Ryan Foy oversees all in-house produced and special programming projects, including the artistic leadership of the Gallo Center Repertory Company. Thanks so much for coming in this morning, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Growing up, who and what contributed to your interest in the arts? Oh, well, I'm actually, I have a long family history of the arts, which some of you may recognize my last name. So this goes way back to some of the older generations. But my great-grandfather was actually Eddie Foy of Eddie Foy and the Seven Little Foys. So uh, (laughs) I grew up with that sort of family history, always a big part of my family. So my grandfather was Irving the seventh littlest foy, and I got to know him when I was a little kid. And neither of my parents were in in the arts. They were both in the mortgage business, but they very much supported us in the arts and really pushed my sister and I into being in theater when we were younger. And it it sort of just blossomed into what I loved most, and that sort of became my life. Please excuse my ignorance, but tell me a little more about (laughs) the seven little foys. No, sure. It's one of those things that you either know all about it or you've never heard of it before. (laughs) So Eddie Foy was really one of the most prolific vaudeville performers in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So for those of you who don't know what vaudeville is, it's sort of the precursor to Broadway in New York. And the vaudeville circuit was the touring circuit throughout the country back then. And so Eddie Foy, he was very much sort of like a clown that performed on the Broadway stage. And later in life, he had seven kids with his third wife, Madeline Mirando, who was actually an Italian ballerina. And he decided to take those seven kids on the road with him as an act. So they were from the age of three up to 15, and they went on tour together as Eddie Foy and the Seven Little Foys and were pretty world famous. They, uh, there was actually a film made about them in the 50s. Bob Hope played Eddie Foy. If you still get Turner Classic Movies, they used to play it pretty much every year. Uh, it's really fun to watch. So yeah, that's my family history. So Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, please talk a bit about your education and how that furthered the development of your art. Sure, yeah. So I grew up in uh, Denver, Colorado, or just outside Denver in Aurora, Colorado. And um, I didn't go to a performing arts school or anything like that for middle school and high school, but the programs that I was involved in were very arts focused. Um, Our high school especially had wonderful teachers who actually worked in New York part-time and came and taught otherwise in Aurora. Uh, One in particular, Susan Drouse, who still works today as a music director on tour and on Broadway. I think actually she was just at the Gallo a few years ago. She was music directing the national tour of Uh, Beautiful, the Carole King musical. So she was one of our choir program directors when I was in school. And we just had a really strong theater and arts 
and music program. So uh, a state-renowned choir program that I was very involved with in all, all four years of high school. And our drama program did four full-scale productions a year, two plays and two musicals. And I was involved in every one. It was my full, <laughs> full-time life in, in growing up in education. And that really led to wanting to continue that path. So I ended up going to uh, the University of Michigan to study musical theater. And our high school also had like sort of a pipeline of kids that ended up in New York and actually either in New York directly at NYU or through Michigan as well. Through that musical theater program, there was a another person who went through Michigan and went to New York. His name was Rob Rokiki. He was actually the composer of the Percy Jackson musical that was on Broadway a few years ago. And similarly, another friend of mine who was a year below me actually went to Michigan as well. And now she's in New York working as the executive director of ART New York. So there's still a great like community and contingent of, of people that grew up through those programs and still work in the arts today. So it, it's been wonderful to be a part of that. And even in college too, like University of Michigan specifically, it really created such a community to be a part of, to move forward through the arts programs. Like a lot of my classmates in Michigan have gone on to wonderful performing arts careers. Some of my classmates were Benj, Pasek, and Justin Paul, who are the musicians who wrote Dear Evan Hansen and La La Land and The Greatest Showman and are now, I, I think they're almost EGOT winners. They, <laughs> they have all those awards. And it was also, Darren Chris was also in my year at, at Michigan as an acting student. So, you know, it's just been... I've been sort of lucky enough to be surrounded by wonderful people and wonderful programs and been able to find my way in, in the arts. It sounds like you were pretty much always determined that was going to be your career. What challenges did you face then? Uh, yeah, it, it was always kind of the plan. I, I kind of didn't let anything else happen. Like even applying for schools, I was like, well, I'm either going to go to Michigan or NYU and I didn't actually apply for anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was always the plan. And, and of course there have been challenges, you know, cost and student loans and trying to make your way in New York, uh, as a struggling actor, but I'm also, you know, super aware of the privilege that's built into my life to come from a white middle-class family. And, and that privilege is very clear and rampant in the musical theater and, and theater industry today. Still the, the, the people who are successful in the theater industry had that leg up to get there of supportive families, supportive parents, and financial support from wherever it comes from. So, you know, I, I try to be hyper aware of that inequity that still is there in the world and, you know, do what I can to try to work against that in my life now, you know, so. Maybe you could tell us about your first years working in theater, how you came to New York, and what that was like. Yeah. So I, I moved to New York pretty much straight out of college. Actually, I left college early and was like spending summers and half semesters in New York during my last couple of years in college as well. But, uh, you know, it's all about the hustle when you're there uh, and all about finding side hustles to survive while auditioning for jobs. And yeah, when we first moved to New York, you would go to like two or three auditions a day and just try to kind of figure out what jobs you could get, but also work. I worked at everything there. I was a cater waiter. I was a bartender. I was a, a marketing promotional guy handing out stuff in Times Square sometimes, depending on the, the <laughs> week. It, 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 you just made it work, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, but uh, so the rest of the time in New York, I, I started booking some theater work, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to work in New York a little bit and regionally and a lot on tour. So the time that I was in New York 
about half of it was spent out on the road based on New York, but traveling on a job. Please describe your life as a touring artist. The touring shows that I did was mostly children's theater, actually. So the first job I booked out of college, which I was eligible to join the Actors Union and get my equity card, was through a company called TheaterWorks USA, which does touring children's theater productions of really well-known great titles. And they usually put one up in New York at the Lucille Lortel Theater and then send them out on tour in a very similar style and manner as actually the Gallo Center does with their arts education program where they will send out the GCA on tour mm-hmm. and take a show out to schools. So TheaterWorks would do that, but on a national basis. So they would send us out on tour and do those shows. So the first show I did was a, a musical version of Dr. Doolittle that I did for about six months. And then following that, I went out on the national tour of Thomas the Tank Engine Live <laughs> as a swing, which took me to Australia and all over the US. And I got to drive a giant golf cart with a, and puppeteer an animatronic train face on the wow. front of it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. While delivering lines. Yep. It's sticking your head out the window and like saying, hi, Thomas. And then you would puppeteer his face <laughs> while somebody else said hi back to you. It was, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Oh God. Um, yeah. So did that. And I also did some work for Nickelodeon. I went out on tour with uh, Go Diego Go Live, mm-hmm. who is Dora the Explorer's cousin. Oh. In that show, I played a dancing coconut tree and click oh. the camera. So <laughs> <laughs> glamorous stuff, but uh, all really fun and, and great and, and awesome to be able to bring theater to kids' lives, which was the most fun part of those jobs, to see all the audience light up when you came out on stage. That's so nice. And I guess you met some really special people, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And, you know, those friends you make on tour and in shows, they're, they're friends for life. There's kind of an old adage of, of theater where time works differently. So if you spend three months on tour with somebody, you've actually been friends for like three years already. Oh. <laughs> what are some of your favorite shows and favorite roles you've played? Oh, yeah, sure. So I am sort of partial to the more avant-garde musical theater world. So things like Next to Normal or Hades Town and Hamilton, of course, mm-hmm. or uh, Avenue Q, that sort of stuff. So the stuff that is really brilliantly funny while also carrying strong messaging and morals attached to the story, that that's my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, as far as roles, you know, I... Uh, one of my absolute favorite was You're in Town. I got to play Bobby Strong in You're in Town once, which was my absolute favorite show. Where was really. that? That was at a tiny little theater in LA, actually, at a, we call them showcase codes, where you kind of, producers will put on a show at a little 99-seat theater, and you're putting on the show to essentially get yourself out there for agents and people to come see your show. So hmm. we got to be a part of that show and presented it in LA, and right when we moved to town, actually, which was great, so... What are some of the favorite shows that you've directed? Yeah, so my favorite show that I've directed is probably Bat Boy the Musical, if you know that one at all, (laughs) (laughs) which is a musical version of like the National Enquirer story of Bat Boy. Oh my goodness. So you have- I need to see this. It's brilliant. And and hopefully, (laughs) I'd love to bring it to Modesto someday. Oh, I hope so. (laughs) And then actually at that same theater company in LA that I did- you're in town as an actor. The following year, I directed a production of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which is a super fun show. Oh, great. Um, if you've ever seen it, it's very improv based. It's all adults taking on the role of 
children in their spelling bee. And a lot of the show is improvised a little bit because you're bringing up audience members to also be a part of the spelling bee <laughs> during the show. What fun. <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. So why did you move to Modesto, Ryan? Family, actually. So my wife is from here, um, and you, you know her well, actually. I taught her in fourth grade. Yeah, as she, <laughs> she always mentions when I say I'm chatting with you. She was my teacher. Um, so yeah, her name's Chelsea Foy, uh, but her maiden name's Chelsea Costa, so some people may know her. She was actually, for a long time, the she took over the Downey High School Choir Program from Polly Vache for a number of years, and then did that for a few years and then moved to New York to pursue a performing career. And we met on a show on Diego, actually. She was playing Alicia, Diego's older sister. And we did that show together and then sort of never looked back from there. And so we lived together in New York for a number of years and then moved to Los Angeles for a few years. And then we uh, when we started to, when she got pregnant, we were going to have a kid. We decided to come up to Modesto to have a, a little, be closer to family and, and start a new life here. Good. Yeah. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> what were your initial impressions of this area and the people? Yeah, Modesto is amazing. Uh, and it's sort of like a hidden gem that a lot of people don't know about. And I love that about it too, because, you know, when we were first moving here, you get the old adage of, oh, it's two hours from everything. You can get wherever you want to. And well, that was great and all, but <laughs> we came to discover that there's also really amazing things to do here in Modesto. And the community has been wonderful. They've been super welcoming. And especially raising kids here has been truly amazing. Like the, the community that we've built up, your tribe, so to speak, of who you can rely on to help raise your kids mm. uh, has been I don't know. We wouldn't have found it anywhere else. You know, you don't you don't get that in a major city sometimes, yeah. you know. So we definitely wouldn't have found the same kind of love and care in L.A. or New York as we have found here in Modesto. So it, it's been great. You're listening to KCBP Arts of the San Joaquin Valley with your host, Linda Scheller, and our guest today, Ryan Foy. Have you acted in or sung in or directed any shows since you moved to this area? Actually, not since we've moved here. It's it's kind of crazy. I took a pretty big hiatus from theater once we had our kids and we're, and we're getting situated here in Modesto. But I did do a show here once before we moved to town, actually. So in, I think it was 2012, my wife and I both were in Cabaret for a Modesto Performing Arts. She played Sally Bowles and I played Cliff. Ooh. It was a it was a fun summer musical theater show, which was it was an amazing production and like one of one of Paul's best, I think. So yeah, so I, it was kind of serendipity that I got to come back and now I work at the Gallo Center where once upon a time I was in a show when I had no idea what the future held really. <laughs> at that point, I was not even considering moving to Modesto, you know. Nice so. foretaste. Mm -hmm. Is this something then you intend to do more of in the future? Yeah, you know, we'll see what happens if the right role comes along. Um, I'd love to get on stage again and we'll see what happens with shows that we program for GCRC or mm -hmm. other performing availability. It, it does get really hard to do shows when you have young children. So, oh, I know. But they <laughs> yes. are just uh, getting to the age where they're old enough. They're both fully in elementary school. I've got a first grader and a third grader. So now there might be some more time to actually commit to doing some shows again, which will be fun. Soon they're going to be in shows. And well, they already are. Yeah, no, they're very oh. involved in the uh, Gallo Center Arts Education Program. They oh, did nice. 
all the GCYAs this past year and Creation Station. So they love it. I'm definitely raising little theater nerds. Good. More little boys. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Got to carry on that legacy, right? Of course. <laughs> I don't think we fully covered this question previously, but what are some of the shows you'd particularly like to appear in or direct? Oh, that's such a hard question. It's funny because I've taken such a long hiatus from it. Like my dream roles have changed a lot because I'm definitely older than I used to be. <laughs> I can't play younger brother in ragtime anymore because I'm almost 40. Um, but so, yeah, no, there's, I have to sort of really look and think about what dream roles there still are. I don't have any on the list top of mind right now. And maybe now you could give us a brief overview of your experience in company management, marketing, design and production. Yeah. So uh, that kind of speaks to those side hustles, right? I kind of got started in the company management and admin side of theater a little bit by accident, actually. So it was when Chelsea, my wife, booked a show with the same producers that we had been working with previously. And there wasn't a role for me in the show, but I really wanted to go on tour. So I applied to be an assistant company manager on the show to be able to go on tour and work in the admin office. And it started there and, it, and I really took to it. It was great. So I you know, you started getting into spreadsheets and budgets and tour schedules and booking and all that fun stuff and sort of took off from there. And I went out the following year on the prices right live with the same company manager as her assistant and did the same thing for a few months. Yeah. So that, that sort of was a, a side, like a side journey on, on the journey of life. Right. And then in terms of like marketing and advertisement while I was in New York, and those side hustles, a few of them that I ended up with, I worked for a while for Audience Rewards, which is sort of like the Broadway tickets version of credit card points where you can sign up for an account and every show you get to, you earn points and then can turn your points back in. So I got to work with them on their website and on their marketing. And then for a while I worked at AKA New York, which is one of the main Broadway advertising firms, um, working on the website's social media and marketing promotions for Broadway shows. So I got to, that was like deep in the trenches of an advertising firm, like very Mad Men almost. Like I was on the <laughs> computer photoshopping Kim Cattrall in her Broadway debut, like <laughs> weird, weird stuff, you know? Yeah. And then aside from that, like in that life, I had really taken to technology and websites and I actually started my own side hustle uh, of my own website design company that I, I started with a partner. So, and that was in New York when you started that? Yep. Yeah, it's called Roundhouse Designs. Mm -hmm. And my business partner, Nick Gasworth, he actually still lives in New York and he's also still working in theater. He's a working actor. He actually spent a number of years on the Wicked National Tour. He was in the Broadway companies of A Christmas Story, The Musical, and Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And actually very exciting news, he is going back to Broadway very soon in a new show in um, How to Dance in Ohio, mm -hmm. which is a new musical based on a documentary on HBO from 2015, which it's a really awesome story. If you've never seen it or heard of it, look it up. It's fun. I'm going to have to do that. Yep. What are the positions that you've held since you moved here? Really, since I moved to Modesto, I've just been self-employed running that web design business. It mm -hmm. actually, it you know, it became very quickly from a side hustle to my main source of income, which was wonderful. And I, I, I've been able to keep a number of clients in New York and then find a number of clients here in Modesto and really nationally just because it's one of those jobs that you can do from anywhere. So we were able to keep our client base up and keep working. In a Gallo Center press release dated July 5th, 2023, I read that you recently partnered 
in a web design firm specializing in projects for performing arts, nonprofits, and other business organizations. Uh, please elaborate, Ryan. So yeah, so uh, like I said, that's Roundhouse Designs, and uh, locally we've been lucky enough to where the we were able to build the website for Community Hospice and the State Theater, and for the Cradle to Career Foundation, the MJC Foundation. So we've been able to do a lot of great work here locally in not for profit work and still in the arts world. And actually, one project that we just finished recently that I, I'm really proud of is it's called the Rise Theater Network or the Rise Theater Database, and it is a program that was started by Maestra, which is another New York organization that we worked with to build their website, um, which their whole mission is to uplift the role of women and non-binary people in the musical theater industry. So it's a database of musicians in New York and across the country and showing who's available to take on those jobs, right? Um, and so they started a new initiative during COVID that was called Get to Work that has since changed to RISE, which is an acronym for representation and inclusion and support in employment for the theater. And so we actually got a large chunk of funding from the Miranda Foundation, Lin-Manuel Miranda's foundation and Jeffrey Seller. And so we were the web developers on the project that built a new database that is for everyone working behind the scenes. So everyone who's not on stage, it's a database of everyone to give more visibility to people of marginalized communities. So whether you're a person of color or LGBTQ community or, or disabled community, you, you are able to have a profile on this database. And when someone is looking to hire a role in the theater, whether it is a lighting designer or a director or a stage crew, your profile will be more visible and try to really bring about some of that equity in who is being hired in the theater industry nationwide. That's wonderful. What a yeah. great initiative. Yeah. What are your responsibilities and what are some of your goals as a board member of the Stanislaus Arts Council? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, when I started the job at Gallo, I, I took a position on the Stanislaus Arts Council board as well. And I am currently serving as the marketing chair. So along with the rest of the team, we're sort of responsible for the branding and social media and website and making sure that word about our programs and the community's art programs gets out to the community itself. So, you know, the whole mission of the Arts Council is about bringing awareness to and uplifting the arts in Stanislaus County. Mm -hmm. And we're sort of in an interesting transition phase. You know, if you're not familiar with the Arts Council, it has gone through quite a history. So right now it is operated by the CCAA, which is the parent nonprofit organization, which has been around for 70 years. Um, which also operates the Mislin Gallery downtown Modesto. And so now sort of the CCAA is doing business as both the Stanislaus Arts Council and the Mislin Gallery. So the Arts Council really has taken an ownership and leadership of all the programming being put out in the gallery, the concerts, the cabarets, the exhibitions, as well as all the education programs. So really right now it's about getting that word out that that exists and that we are looking to grow that support and hopefully can grow in our financial support so that we can start helping facilitate funds to artists in need and organizations in need, and also just grow awareness of the arts in Stanislaus County. Cause that's, you know, one of the most amazing things about Modesto and this area at large is how much arts programming we have here. Right. I don't think there's very many other cities that have a symphony and opera and a ballet all operating at the same time. Um, and so it, it, it's a point of pride for 
our area and the arts council wants to help that grow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, and, and sort of those challenges are what every organization faces are, which are mostly financial, you know, the, as the not-for-profit world has shifted and how donations have changed through COVID and how even the organization has changed. It needs financial support from the community to keep going, to mm-hmm. keep the gallery functioning and be able to really see those funds go to other people. One of the most exciting things they did recently was the Heartland Creative Core Grant, which took funding from the state and we were able to be a part of the distribution of that. So we oversaw $1.6 million being given out to artists, working artists as money in their pocket for the work that they're doing. So it's an exciting time for the Arts Council. And and if you're not familiar, please go to their website, stanislasarts.org and find out more about it and become a member and support. I know there was discussion of listing the various and sundry art organizations and artists in our county and also having a calendar of upcoming events. Is that something you've realized yet? So there is a list on the website of the sort of the directory of arts organizations locally. As far as a calendar, it's been a struggle to figure out how to maintain that easily. You know, there is another calendar locally that Visit Modesto operates already, and it's a lot of the same dates that are on it. So we are partnering with Visit Modesto a lot to make sure they have a lot of those calendar items on it as well and, and helping to promote the events in town. Oh, that's great. This is KCBP Wesley, 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. You're listening to Arts of the San Joaquin Valley with your host, Linda Scheller, and our guest today, Ryan Foy. You're also a founding board member of the Modesto Children's Museum, and currently it seems you're serving as the board vice president and the chair of its operations and exhibit design committee. Please tell us about this really exciting endeavor. Yeah, and the Children's Museum is super exciting right now because we're very close to being open and being able to welcome the children of the Central Valley into the Modesto Children's Museum for the first time. So yeah, this idea started a few years ago from a good friend of ours, Katie Barber, sort of started the idea. She's another local transplant like I am. She's from Pittsburgh originally and and married into the area. And, you know, we became very good friends with their family and we both had young kids and sort of that idea that like, why is a children's museum a two hour drive away? Why can't we have something like that here available to our kids who maybe don't have the resources to drive two hours to experience something like that? That idea sort of just kind of took off and we went for it. Um, so the, the not-for-profit formed in 2019. And over that time, we secured a building and we've raised over $10 million in funding. And wow. my role, as you said, the committees are a bit shifting now that we're shifting to more governance and, and operationally with staff on board because we've hired a CEO and, okay. and staff members. And so they're taking over a lot of those roles. So, but through the design process, I was the chair of the exhibit committee that was working with an outside design firm, Gyroscope, which is a children's museum design company based in Oakland to work with them to figure out what wanted to go in the museum and, and create the look and feel and, and educational platform tied to all of the exhibits. When do you plan to open the doors? Soon. Okay. (laughs) We'll have to just keep an eye on the news. Keep an eye on the website. Keep an eye on the newspaper. And that website is modestochildrensmuseum.org. Expect an announcement soon, imminently, I would say. With bated breath. (laughs) And I understand there's an 
an initiative to make sure that children who don't have perhaps as many opportunities in their lives, that they get to utilize the museum by, is it checking out a day pass at the library or something yeah, like that? Yeah, there's a few programs ac- actually. And, and that has always been really important, both mm-hmm. in terms of equity and access mm-hmm. and really also making sure that every kid in the Central Valley feels welcome and able to come and really sees themselves in the museum and it, it really accessible for all. So that program you mentioned is a program through the Stanislaus County Library called Discover and Go. Mm. And I don't know when it will be set up yet or, or when it will be active, but it is our goal to have that program in place at some point where you are able to go check out a pass to the, to the museum on your library card and use it. And that program, we've actually been experimenting with that at the Gallo Center too, where you're able to check out a ticket to one of the Gallo Center repertory company shows as well. So, oh. And that program is not just for... Locally, that that program actually applies to a lot of places in California. So if you're not a library member, go get your card, go to discoverandgo.com and you can sign into your library and you can check out tickets to really anywhere. Like I think the Exploratorium is on there, the Young Museum is on there. So it's a great program that more people should utilize. Oh, thank you for telling us about that. That's great. (laughs) What arts and entertainment are you envisioning for the Children's Museum? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the exhibitry inside is all super exciting in terms of the the range of what a kid can do. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's all very colorful. Like the initial design ideas were built around the idea of color stories and how we as a people in a community tell different stories that are colored by our experiences. And also we are also all different colors and uh-huh. have stories of our own past and people and it's all very present there but also in a very colorful and vibrant welcoming world right you want it to look exciting and create a a feeling of joy the moment you walk in Mm. it was the original intent behind it so you know within the museum there's going to be all sorts of education opportunities like there is a, a train inside there's a grocery store there's a stage there's a large climbing structure and there's various labs all based around various elements. So there's a light lab and a water lab and an oh, air lab um, and a maker space where you can do science experiments and art projects. So it, it's really exciting to see what it's going to be. Um, really, we as the, the founders tried our best to put all of the pieces in place mm-hmm. for the staff to then take it and run and, and create more into the future. Oh. So I'm really excited to see what becomes of it now that we've created the place. Oh, that's fantastic. As part of your new position as director of produced theater and special programming at the Gallo, you became artistic director of Gallo Center Repertory Company, a position that was previously held by Jim Johnson. Please talk about the transition. Yeah, Jim has been awesome. And I have to point out that Jim really has been such a wonderful part of the Gallo Center history for so many years. And he initially came on as an arts education coordinator back when Lynn Dickerson first started and started that arts education touring program I spoke of, the GCA on tour. And then through various partnerships, started producing theater. Like they did a production of To Kill a Mockingbird in partnership with Prospect Theater Project in 2011. And 
sort of realized that there was an audience for produced theater here that could fill those seats at the Gallo Center. And so they it grew from there. And since then, they've done over 40 productions uh, over the past 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. And what is most amazing about all this is that Jim Johnson did this all as a volunteer yeah. for all that time, and um, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, he wanted to retire for the third time, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, so that is how my position was created. They, you know, they wanted the program to continue and they wanted to continue making theater here locally. And that is why we have a, this position at the Gallo Center. And it's been amazing. So Jim has been wonderful through the transition. This past year, he, he had selected all the shows from last season and stayed on as artistic director through my first year. And so I sort of shadowed him through that process mm-hmm. and worked together to to see those shows come to fruition. And now he is fully retired as of the end of last season. And now it's all in my hands. Oh, great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. What is in the GCRC 2324 season? Yeah, it's a super exciting season we have coming up. So this year we have Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express in October, followed by the musical Winter Wonderettes in December, which is a 1960s sort of pastiche jukebox musical about four women singing holiday hits at their Christmas party. And then next spring in March, we have 12 Angry Jurors, which Mm -hmm. is a modern updated production of 12 Angry Men, which will be told in present day and with a gender neutral cast. And then in May, we have Born Yesterday, which is a political comedy from post-World War II. It was originally a film starring Judy Holliday, Mm -hmm. and it's all about a sort of junkyard mob boss who goes to D.C. to buy himself a senator in order to, like, make all these profits off of the junk coming back from World War II. And he brings his ditzy blonde girlfriend with him, and he sort of (laughs) says, you need to get some education to go to these dinner parties with senators. And so he gets her a tutor, and and she really takes to the learning, and sort of over the course of the play, she gets very smart and realizes he's a crook and sort of takes him for all he's worth. (laughs) (laughs) Not to give away the ending or anything, but it's a a really fun fun plot. Oh, it sounds great. Yeah. Who chooses who directs these performances? Yeah, so uh, that is up to me. Uh, So, yeah, it's a process where I do a lot of work trying to find shows that sort of fit into our capabilities as a production company and our what will sort of sell well to what our audiences will like to see, what we're capable of technically, and what actors we have locally who can take on the roles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, playing that game of finding the right shows and then pairing them with a director who will be able to do the project justice. And what's great about this community is there are such wonderful theater makers here from CSU Stanislaus, from MJC, from Prospect Theater Project, all up and down the valley, Mm -hmm. even down to Merced Playhouse. We have wonderful theater being made here and the directors who are around and willing to work are awesome to work with. Have you started planning for the 24-25 season? And I'm curious in general, how do you find plays and musicals that you're thinking about producing there? I am. I am I am deep in the throes of reading scripts. I, I think I read five scripts this weekend already. So it's a process of you just make a list of titles that you know and, and may work well, and then you get a copy of the script, you read it and, and see uh, what the technical needs of the show are. And, and then from there, you sort of craft a season around it, right? When I started, I... I wanted to 
find a way to have some sort of like overarching theme mm -hmm. to the season a little bit, uh, some kind of through line a little bit that would hopefully entice people to come back and see all four shows to see how they connect a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So this past season, what came to light with those four shows was sort of an overarching theme of moral obligation, right? It's this idea of what we as society do when presented with the question of right or wrong mm -hmm. and how in different situations, different people approach that question. So from a murder mystery where Hercule Poirot, the famous Belgian detective, is presented with a case where it's a really moral gray area of who was murdered, why they were murdered, and what he as the detective is supposed to do when he finds out the real killer. And the Christmas show, it's a, admittedly a lighter version of that where during the course of the show, the, the girl's boss tells them to not open the Christmas presents early, and they do. And he plays a practical joke on them, and hilarity ensues, sort of a thing, you know. And 12 Angry Jurors hitting the nail on the head of, like, what we do in a situation where and how we deal with the question of reasonable doubt in, in a court case. And born yesterday, of course, when someone is very clearly breaking the law and doing something amoral, what obligations do you have as a bystander or as a direct participant to right that wrong? So that theme sort of both comes out of finding a few and finding how they are related and then mm -hmm. looking for others that fit into it. And that's sort of a lofty goal. We'll see if we get there every season and what we can find out. But as far as what shows to do, you know, I have my dream wish list of shows that I think will sell well and I think will perform well and are really fun theater projects to do. GCRC has a history of doing a lot of like literary classics, right? The, the productions that GCRC has done, they've performed the big titles from the late 20th century, right? We've mm -hmm. got Arthur Miller in there. We've got Neil Simon in there. And, and so continuing that tradition is very important as well. So we will see more of that and hopefully bringing in a few newer titles that fit well into that theme or into what we can do. It'll be great. Do you plan to have one or more musicals every year? I hope to. Good. No promises, but <laughs> I can't let my musical theater background go. Well. <laughs> so I'd love to keep that coming. And it, it is a fine line to walk because we also have wonderful musical theater here already with Modesto Performing Arts and with Yes Company at the Gallo Center every summer. So if we do continue to do musicals, they will hopefully be musicals that other production companies aren't doing, mm -hmm. like to not sort of step on other toes. So they would be shows that are more smaller cast sized and smaller orchestras and maybe titles that are more unique and, and, so we'll like, see what happens. Like Bat Boy. Like Bat Boy the Musical someday. <laughs> Good. It's on my wish list. Don't <laughs> worry. It's on there. Maybe you could talk a little about the process of securing rights to put on a production. Sure. All the rights are actually controlled by a pretty small number of production houses based in New York, whether it's uh, Concord Theatricals or Dramatic Publishing or a few others. And really you select the show you want to do and then you contact that company to request a license to perform the show. And um, it, it really is a coin flip of whether or not you're going to get them sometimes. For example, one show I was gung-ho decided on for the fall of 2024 I applied for the rights and it is not available. So I had to start over. <laughs> and the reason it's not available is they're putting out a national tour of it that mm -hmm. is playing in California near the months where we would be performing it. So fully granted, sometimes there are those limitations in place. So back to the drawing board for that mm -hmm. one. 
What are the Modesto Rotary Music Garden and the Brown Bag Concert Series? And I'd love to know the history, how they started, and how you obtain or find the musicians and groups who perform. Yeah, so actually during COVID, the uh, Modesto Rotary got together and and started a campaign to build the Modesto Rotary Music Garden in the grass directly in front of the Gallo Center on the corner of, of 11th and I Street. And so if you haven't been down there, it's super fun. It is a wonderful little mini amphitheater that has permanently installed musical instrument playground items. Mm-hmm. So kids and adults can come play the xylophone or these big pipes and make music there anytime they want. But it also gave us a wonderful little venue and performing space that we could use to put on free community programming. So that's been the intent of how we want to use that space. So after it was completed, the Gallo Center started a program called the Brown Bag Summer Concert Series, which put on free to the public concerts every Friday at noon through the summer in downtown Modesto. This is the third year that we're doing it. So the first year I think had six concert dates. Last year we did 12 and this year we're doing 12 again. And it's super exciting. And this year actually one of our major sponsors is Yogurt Mill. So the Yogurt Mill frozen yogurt truck is out there every Friday. So if you need your Froyo fix, you can come downtown, (laughs) listen to some music and enjoy a nice afternoon on the grass listening to some great tunes. And as far as the artist goes, you know, we do put out a public call. So, and again, this comes back to the wonderful community that is here in Modesto and in our area in Stanislaus County where there are so many wonderful musicians Mm -hmm. out there doing good work and performing all over and even gaining bigger audiences. So you know, I have that long list every year of who gets nominated for the MoMA Awards, and I can see all these wonderful bands and musicians that are out there. But also we do put out a public call hmm. on the website asking people to fill out a form and say if they're interested in performing in the Brown Bag series, and they submit a video, and then I sort of take a look at everyone that requested to be a part of it, and I sort of craft a summer season out of that. What regularly scheduled free public arts programs are you working toward for the Music Garden? We actually put on over 50 free community events each year. So, you know, there is those 12 summer concert series that we have. Uh, In addition to that, we partner with Drum Love, which is Dave Rogers' drum circle uh, nonprofit. So he comes out actually two or three times a month and does a drum circle out there on the Music Garden. He does those every so often at noon or at sunset and occasionally on a full moon as well. And then we also partner with our local... Studio V Pilates and Modesto Reforms, where every first Saturday we are doing a donation-based Pilates class out on the grass. Uh, In addition to that, we are partnering with the Stanislaus County Library, where they come out and do their story time for pre-K kids out on the grass as well. So it's very similar to the same program they do at the library in the basement in their amphitheater, but Mm -hmm. they get a chance to bring it outside. And then after we do story time and sing the songs, the kids are able to play with the music garden instruments and have some fun on the outdoors. In addition to that, last Christmas, we did some Christmas caroling, partnering with the MSO Symphony Chorus, which was super fun. And we've had a couple of dog adoption events out in the garden. So we partnered with KFR, one of our local dog rescue companies. They Mm -hmm. came out and did a dog rescue. We're hoping to do a few more of those as well. 
And then one big event we have coming up actually uh, in about six weeks is the Family Fun Festival. We're partnering with the city of Modesto is our presenting sponsor for this event. And it'll be Sunday, September 24th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And it will be on the Music Garden and the full Gallo Center Plaza. And we'll have a number of vendors out there. We've got the symphony will be there with their instrument petting zoo. Uh, <laughs> most poetry will be there uh, writing poems. Mm -hmm. The library will be there with books. I think Python Ron is coming with his reptiles. Ooh. We'll have some food trucks, some uh -huh. fun, some art, a DJ, balloon animals, face painting, all the fun stuff a kid could want on a afternoon. And then in addition to that, inside the theater, so it, it's in tandem with a few shows that are going on inside. So one of which is called Agaboom, which will be at 4 p.m. And that is a ticketed event, which tickets, I believe, range from $15 to $35. And it's a really fun clown and magic show, actually. I almost describe it sometimes as like Blue Man Group for kids, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's super fun. A lot of action, a lot of fun stuff going on on stage there. So that's one of the main performances at 4 p.m. that day. So you can come to the festival beforehand and then get your tickets to go see Agaboom after your play outside. And in addition to that, we're actually using the event as the launch of that GCA on tour program for the arts education department. So we have a production of Charlie and the No Good Cheetosaurus, which is a dinosaur play about cheating. And uh, so we'll be doing some free to the public performances of that at 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. in the Foster Theater. So if you come to the event outside, there'll be a table, the Gallo Center booth, where you'll be able to come pick up some tickets and be able to go see that show inside free of charge. So that's a really fun event we have coming up and we're really excited about it. Where online can our listeners find more information in the scheduling for all this? It's all available on the Gallo Center website at galloarts.org. And you'll see a big banner for the Family Fun Festival right there on the homepage. But also, if you go to the menu under events, there's a event calendar button called Free Community Events, where you'll see all of these things listed out as well. Oh, great. That's very helpful. You're listening to KCBP Arts of the San Joaquin Valley. I'm Linda Scheller, and today our guest is Ryan Foy. In addition to GCRC in the Music Garden, what other programs are you currently overseeing? Yeah, so actually in my department at the Gallo Center, I also oversee the resident companies and rentals that come through the center. So the four resident companies that the Gallo Center has are, like I mentioned before, the Central West Ballet Company, the Modesto Symphony Orchestra, Opera Modesto, and Modesto Performing Arts. And... There is a manager in my department that oversees all of their scheduling and programming, and we're really excited to have those partnerships at the center. Those companies are really why the Gallo Center came to be, mm -hmm. to have a place for those companies to exist and be able to perform. And really, the long histories of the resident companies has been so wonderful and impressive. I think, forget what the actual numbers of their anniversaries are that are all just went by this year, but they're a very impressive histories and we're so lucky to have them here and excited to have their shows on the season every year at the Gallo Center. In addition to that, the rentals department. And what that means is, so the Gallo Center presents its season each year, which is what you will see in the brochure that's available now to show you what's on sale for the 23-24 season. Mm -hmm. And those are all the shows that the Gallo Center is presenting. Any dates that are available still outside of that calendar are available for rentals to use. So the rentals may be a show that comes through that we may be not presenting that is renting the space, 
or they are also available for community rentals. For example, uh, I believe the Sylvan School District just had their kickoff event in our lobby. And so all the venues in the Gallo Center are available for rent, the lobbies um, and the theaters for presentations and shows. So we, we oversee that as well. Please talk a bit about the human resources and technical resources you have available at the Gallo Center for the Arts. Oh, yeah. The Gallo Center is full of so many amazing people who work there, and it is kind of mind-boggling how many employees we have. You know, we have our admin staff, we have our ticketing and box office staff, and we have a truly huge production staff who who manages all of these shows that are coming through each week. And we have our full-time staff, but also a huge pool of overhire staff that comes in and works on the shows that need additional help. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a Broadway tour that comes through may need, like, 50 people to run the show backstage. So we have that pool of talented technical theater professionals who come in and work those shows when they come about. And for GCRC specifically, I have, you know, obviously my pool of directors that I use, but our creative teams, our designers, our costume and scenery and props designers are all local theater professionals that I work with each year, which are wonderful. And uh, yeah, it's just an amazing team. Can members of the public volunteer in some capacity? And if if so, how can they make that interest known to you? Yeah, so we love our volunteers at the Gallo Center. So for the Gallo Center Repertory Company specifically, all our actors are volunteers. So it is truly community theater in that sense where uh, anyone can come audition, even if you've never really done theater before. We'd love to have you come try it out and and see what happens. And we'd love to work with you. So those auditions are held throughout the year on a per production basis. And so that's available on our website. If you go, there is an about page about the Gallo Center rep specifically, and there's an auditions tab where you can see info about when auditions are coming up. But in addition, the Gallo Center at large could not operate without a full team of volunteers who serve as our ushers and volunteers in front of house and concessions. I think the stat is that if those volunteers save the center almost $300,000 a year by being there and helping patrons to their seats and serving at the concession stand. So we are always looking for more team members to help support the nonprofit that is the Gallo Center for the Arts and really make the experience for everyone more wonderful by having a great time in the theater. If folks have suggestions for future programs, how can they make those wishes known? Yeah, we, we love suggestions. We love hearing from everyone in the community. So uh, you can reach out via social media or via email. All of that's available on our website at galloarts.org. So I know you've already mentioned this once, but perhaps you can repeat how our listeners can find all this information about the Gallo Center's upcoming productions, the programs you've been talking about. Uh, not just the website, which you could certainly repeat, but also social media and local publications. Yeah, so social media is great. And we actually have a number of different social media channels. So there is a, a Facebook and Instagram for each, the main Gallo Center, the Gallo Center Repertory Company, and the Arts Education Department. So search those up on Facebook and Instagram, follow along, and you'll get all the updates that are out there. And of course, come to the website, but also just come by and see us. Come come to the box office and talk to our wonderful customer service representatives down there. They, they know so much about the shows that are coming through town. And you can grab one of our season brochures if you don't have one yet, because we have some wonderful programming coming through this year. This past week, we had Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium. <laughs> and coming up this month, we have Donnie Osmond, and I'm really excited about the uh, Wynton Marcellus and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra at the end of the month. 
of September. Yeah. Oh gosh, has that already sold out? Almost. The oh. tickets you you still be able to get a ticket I if better, you act fast. I better hurry. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's technically our season opener. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah. What do you envision then for Gallo Center's produced theater and special programming going forward? I just want to keep making great theater. That, that's the key. I want to really elevate the type of work we're doing and really make the rep company here one of the great rep companies in the country. I want to make great theater and grow our audience so we can do more shows. <laughs> Very good. Yep. Is there anything you'd like to add, Ryan? Oh, just thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure. And it's really exciting to be here. That idea of Modesto and Stanislaus County being a great place is really what I want to lean on. Like as an outsider who've become really a part of this town, it's wonderful to have been welcomed with such warm embraces from everyone here and really have a place to make art and and create community. It's, it's a wonderful place to be. So I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad you are here. You're doing so much <laughs> and bringing so much to our area, both the Children's Museum, the Arts Council, your duties and vision for the Gallo. It's something I greatly appreciate. So thank you. And thank you for coming here to, to talk with us about it. Of course. Thanks for having me. The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley has been produced and hosted by Linda Scheller and Laura Stokes and features music by Kilobot, Waves of Wonder, from the album Jazzy Lazy. You can learn more about their music at www.kilobot.de. That's K-I-E-L-O-B-O-T dot D-E. If you would like us to feature your art-related event, or if you would like to be featured on our show, contact us at arts at kcbpradio.org. Stay tuned for more great community radio, brought to you by local volunteers, the Modesto Peace Life Center, and listeners like you. Please visit kcbpradio.org to show your support and to learn more about your community radio station. Catch you next time on the Arts of the San Joaquin Valley.